Welcome to the Otson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. It's Wednesday, December 6th. Final day to get the promo of DuckTerritory.com, 60% off an annual membership. If you haven't done so already, you want to make an impact on keeping the show free, keeping the show going like we do it every single week. That's the best way to ensure that. Uh, go to DuckTerritory.com and sign up today for 60% off final day if you're listening on the 6th. If you're listening after, too late. You missed it. Sorry. Uh, all right. Portal has been open now for a little over 48 hours. Um We've seen a couple departures uh, since it has opened up. The first, Ashton Cozart was the first guy to say he's leaving when he said it last week. Um, and then on the first day, we saw names like Chris Hudson and Josh Delgado, uh, Damon David also threw his name into the portal. Brian Addison threw his name into the portal. And now, like, the first one of, of guys that, like, consistently played is – Triquez Bridges, and uh, he was going to be a senior. Um, he has done his time at Oregon. I think he's graduated. He chose to walk uh, at senior day for Oregon, which was pretty telling at the time. Um, I don't know if any of us are surprised that he left uh, the, the program, but it's the first kind of impactful one here. Uh, reactions to this, or we is it something that's going to cause concern for Oregon from a depth, from a talent, or is this just one that he's probably been over-recruited and he's looking for more playing time? I think the writing is probably on the wall for TriQuest, who yeah. was a starter in 2022 and this year wasn't, and I don't know, played probably about 200 snaps in the season. I don't have all the PFF numbers in front of me to, to have the snap count, so I'm not sure if Jared or Matt do, but saw his role reduced. Has another year of eligibility. Probably figured he'd go somewhere else where he could try to win a starting job. I don't think the odds are super high here. Obviously, Julio Florence has one of those jobs. Um, Kyrie probably isn't here. So that probably speaks to the fact that the staff has communicated that they're going to go find another portal edition, which might be some names we can mention on today's show that kind of fit that description. So, yeah, no, I, I don't think this one is a massive blow. This is a depth piece. And I think Tricot is probably going to go find a way to uh, try to find a little more playing time somewhere else. Yeah, not not very surprising. Um, I said it on the podcast on Monday where Tricot's bridges walked during senior day. Um, kind of a clear indication that he was likely not going to stick around for another season to see his own senior day. So, and I'm, I'm sure he's graduated at this point, which is great for him. He now has a college degree, and wherever he's going now could be a grad transfer. He can get a graduate degree. Um, get some more playing time and you know potentially make a run at playing in the NFL because you know at, at the end of the day he is still a long versatile cornerback or safety I still feel like for the last two years I've been saying this I still feel like he'd be a better safety than he is a cornerback and maybe at his next school he'll get that opportunity to do so but uh, it wasn't going to happen in Oregon uh, Oregon's bringing in a great cornerback and safety class uh, in the 2024 season while I don't expect any of them to really be big-time contributors. Um, you still have guys who have been recruited earlier who are looking to be big-time contributors like Dalen Austin, like Roderick Pleasant. Obviously, Jaleel Florence is already there, um, but Oregon's also going to be very active in the portal. There's a bunch of guys who are in right now that um, either Oregon has offered or Oregon has had previous relationships with uh, in recruiting that, they're, that if I were them, I would be going after because there's some damn good players. So, uh, you know, at, at this day and age in the transfer portal you're always looking to get better and unfortunately losing triquist bridges and adding somebody else can make you better um despite how much i've enjoyed talking to triquist bridges over the years and um getting to know him more and more every every time we talk but uh it's not necessarily surprising to me i mean i had his story pre-written so that's all you need to know eric to answer your question 205 total snaps this season uh for triquist bridges he played, I think, in all 13 games so far. He mm -hmm. played 704 in 2002. That's a drastic reduction in playing time. Yeah. Which opens the door for why he left. Um, there's really no one else so far that has that has left the program. I think there was a walk-on 
long snapper. Um, Keller Stafford. Keller Stafford, yeah. yes. Uh, that also entered the portal. And look, there could be one that hits the, hits the portal as we're recording this podcast. I, I think oh, there will be more. I know there will yeah. be more. Um, there'll be some NFL decisions that also happen to get Oregon below the 85-man scholarship limit, which they're currently above. Um, but I want to say this, that it is interesting that from a portal perspective, A, it hasn't been an influx of names like it was last season. Um, what was the number? I, I, I don't know if any of us remember this, but it felt like the first day of the portal, there was like nine or 10 or 12 guys that just jumped right in um, for Oregon. And that was the, that was the case everywhere. It wasn't just Oregon. But this year, um, it's a slower process. And then part of that is from what I've heard is a lot of, you know, Oregon hasn't been very active in offering guys. I think only one player has officially made it known publicly that he has a scholarship offer. It's not Dylan Gabriel, but we all know Dylan Gabriel has an offer that doesn't need to be known. Uh, made public, but a, a big chunk of I think of what I've heard is is Oregon staff this week, last week, uh, has been focused on locking in on its current players, keeping guys that maybe are considering leaving that Oregon wants to keep, trying to you know do the steps here to keep them here, uh, and then you know exploring out and beyond on portal guys that they're interested in because there's only been really two players that we know about that have offers. Um, and I think a lot of that is because Oregon's working on guys that, that they're trying to keep and they're trying to keep their current roster intact. I think I always go back to Dan Lanning, what he talks about when it's portal or, or it's high school recruiting, whatever he said, portal is important, but their bread and butter will always be the high school area in their current team. And I think that's kind of reflective right now of Oregon's maybe slow start from a, players leaving and players being offered in the portal by Oregon. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't speak to the pace with which players are leaving or what that indicates because I think still expect there'll be a lot of players to leave, but I can say that I'm sure Oregon is being very selective given its roster constraints at the moment in terms of the offers they want to make. And the other part of it is just because a player hasn't made his offer known publicly on social media doesn't mean there aren't, half a dozen other players that have had maybe a dozen players that have offers or have had long conversations with Oregon or have visits that are being discussed. Like, or I'm sure Oregon's being very active right now, even if some of the, some of that activity is, I guess, not been made known yet. So um, I wouldn't be sweating it like, Oh man, Oregon's not going to get their guy. I, I think it's more of a matter of being patient in terms of what's out there. And then also just like the, w- the way this works, it's a little different from high school recruiting where all these high school kids are just, fired up to be like, oh my gosh, this, these dream schools all offered me. Let me go post it on social media. I don't know if that's always the case in the portal um, in terms of guys wanting to get that information pushed really, really quickly. Because just in general, there have been several commitments and there have been offers I've seen posted around there, but there's been way more guys that have entered the portal than there have been guys who I've seen announce offers over the course of the last 48 hours. I think this will all come out more slowly. And so I, mm-hmm. to Matt's point, like I think Oregon is being, I'm sure, proactive and probably more proactive than is made publicly known right now, but also making sure that they identify and, and make the right moves here because they are going to have some major roster constrictions until some of these other players hit the portal. And I'm sure those are kind of the contributing factors of trying to discuss behind the scenes what makes sense to try to jockey and, and make sure you have the right numbers here going forward because – at a certain point, that'll become a problem. Obviously, right now, you've got a lot of room and time for, to, you know, to fix those issues, and there's a lot of flexibility, but you do have to kind of play the big board, and that's kind of the difficulty of, of juggling all this right now, I'm sure. It would be incredibly neg- negligent if they didn't put all their resources right now into the portal. Well, not maybe not all of them, but a lot of their resources in the portal because these are day one instant impact guys. And uh, like Eric just talked about, there's going to be a lot of holes to fill um, on this roster, after guys decide to go pro, decide to hit the portal, uh, whatever the case may be, um, I'm sure that Oregon is putting a lot of time and effort into looking into the portal. It may not be like the big shots like Dan or Tosh because they're out going and visiting recruits' house right now, as we all saw on social media over the last 24 hours or so. But 
just like Dan said uh, before the Pac-12 championship game, like on the on the transport, I think he said something to the point of like we have people who are looking out, like we have an idea of what's out there. Like it's not that we're surprised by these things. It's that maybe we knew going in, but we have people looking out for us. But as of as of then, it was only they were only interested on the game, which is what you would expect. But as of now, there's a game in a couple of weeks, so. There's a lot of interest to be had in the portal. Uh, and as for Oregon's subtractions from the portal, I'm not surprised it's this slow. I mean, last year it was fast because it was cleaning out season for Dan Lanning. Um, there was a lot of guys on the roster who I'm sure just didn't fit. And that's why Oregon lost, I think, the number is 34 a season ago, and that's not really including um, – like maybe guys who are on scholarship, but definitely like walk-on contributors that they had going to other schools. Like, you know, they've had for as much shoot as Deion Sanders gets for completely reconstructing a roster. Like Dan Lanning's done the same thing. It just, just wasn't all one off season. It was more like two and now three off seasons where he's taken 80% of a roster that was here in 2021 with Mario Cristobal and very few people are left from it. Um, you can just look at that 2021 class to begin with. But that's what college football is now. And Dan Lanning, as you can see, these are the results. Like, even with Colorado, like, yeah, they only won four games, but that's three more than they won last year. Like, Oregon is an 11-win team. They're clearly doing very well. They had a much better sound defense than they did a season ago. This is what happens in college football now. Um, I still expect plenty of guys to go, but maybe it's not until after the bowl game. Maybe it's not until today. Maybe there's eight guys who leave today. Um, there's just a 30-day window, so players have until January 4th. That's you know three three days, two and a half days after Oregon's game ends. Maybe that's when we see the influx of kids leaving the, the program. But I still expect there to be more because uh, I thought there would be more last season, and some of those players are still around. Yeah, the bowl game is an interesting point, and it's a good one by Jared because – there could be some incentive for these guys to, who maybe are choosing to leave, um, but to play in this game because of who sits out in the bowl game because of NFL yeah. decisions, which opens the door for a guy to, to get more reps and to put some film on tape. Um, that's a good point. Let's transition to the big name, the hot topic, Dylan Gabriel. Um, it's been reported on 24-7 Sports, reported elsewhere, that he is one of the primary targets for Oregon. He's going to be here this weekend for an official visit. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we find out either today, tomorrow, three weeks from now, whenever, if he ever does come to Oregon, that Will Stein made a stop this week. Uh, Stein is um, in Texas and then spent some time in Little Rock, Arkansas for the Broyles Award right around Oklahoma, where Dylan Gabriel currently is at. Um, it would not surprise me one bit if we learned later on that Stein made a stop there before his visit this weekend. Um, this is to what Jared said uh, on the Monday show, that you have to find your quarterback. And then once you find your quarterback, everything falls into place from a recruiting standpoint, this is that move. Oregon is, it looks like this is their top target. You know, maybe Cam Ward is 1B to, to Dylan Gabriel's 1A, um, but they're choosing to bring in Dylan Gabriel for an official visit this weekend. And this is a dude that's highly productive. Um, I think he runs a, he adds a running element, a willingness to run the football as well if, if needed. And I, I think the biggest difference between Ward and and Gabriel isn't that one guy is exceptionally better than the other one. It's just, I feel like what Gabriel ran at UCF and now the last two seasons at Oklahoma kind of fit what Oregon's already currently doing from an offensive standpoint. They're both elite quarterbacks, but Gabriel kind of already has that kind of similar offense. Yeah. Go, go from one of the most, you know, the most experienced quarterbacks in uh, college football history to a guy who's, just as experienced almost. I mean, Gabriel's a four-year He's going to break the record that Bo set. Right. I was just going to get to that. Yeah, exactly. This is the guy, you know, Bo just set the record for most starts. That number will increase by one, it sounds like, in, in, you know, the Fiesta Bowl um, early next month. But 
Gabriel will, will, will likely get there, assuming he is healthy um, and at Oregon or wherever he ends up next season. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I would agree. I, he's not the, necessarily the flashiest of players to a certain regard. He's five foot 11, so he's a little undersized. He's been extremely consistent in terms of production. I mean, you just go look through his four years where he was healthy um, for the duration of most of the season and talking more than 3,000 yards passing, more than 25 touchdowns, fewer than seven interceptions all four years. Um, career 125 touchdowns, 26 interceptions. That sort of speaks for itself. This is a guy who's been extremely productive. And and you'll remember after the Oklahoma-Texas win, this was Josh Pate's early Heisman Trophy finalist, um, or, or, or I should say favorite. Um, things did not go quite as well the weeks after that. And there's a couple of hiccups on Oklahoma's schedule. His play probably didn't live up to where it needed to be to really be in that conversation either. But this is a very, very high-end player and would be a really nice addition. And once again, bringing in a very experienced player, a player who understands how to run a program, who's done it at a couple of places, who's really won everywhere he's been. This would be, I think, a really nice addition. There are some really high-end, exciting young quarterbacks out in the portal, right? Aiden Childs, Dante Moore, some of these names, guys who don't have a lot of actual game experience who are players down the road, you'd be like, I'd love to hand my program off to those guys for two or three years. Gabriel's not that guy because he's a one-year, but he's certainly somebody who is a, a very, very capable player to fill in and to keep you competing for all the, the goals and aspirations and keep those at the, at the highest level. He's a quarterback you can expect to come in, and if Oregon does land him, keep, you, keep all that stuff kind of in front of you because he's already proven he could win at the very highest level. Yeah, I think he's incredibly important for this upcoming season for Oregon if they do land him, either him or Cam Ward. Um, on Monday, I voiced my favoritism towards Cam Ward. I still hold it. But yeah, again, that's more of a personal preference thing. Um, regardless, either quarterback is going to provide you with a veteran leader at, at, at the position, provide you with uh, a slew of strengths and some weaknesses, but a lot of strengths in both of these quarterbacks. Um, but for Gabriel specifically, um, I think he just he just understands how to operate an offense. Um, like Matt said, it's it's pretty similar to what Oregon runs. I think um, the weapons, if Oregon can assemble them, can really help Gabriel. Um, and we talked about this on Monday as well. I forgot which of us talked about it, but Oregon's offensive line theoretically should return three to four starters. It, it depends on what Jackson Powers Johnson does and a Johnny Cornelius, of course. But if both of those guys come back, then – they returned four starters, and then they replaced Stephen Jones with Poncho, with Ayapani Lalulu, who has gotten rave reviews all season long, um, played as a true freshman. You know, him or Dave Iuli can really compete for that starting uh, right guard position that Stephen Jones was so good at this past season. So you add that into the mix, you suddenly give these quarterbacks who have immense talent all the time in the world to throw in the pocket. I mean, that's exactly what happened to Bo Nix these past two seasons. It's like – Obviously, he developed and he, he he understood how to read defenses better and all these other things. But, you know, the natural talent, the arm strength, the ability to get out of the pocket and run is all there. And it is with Dylan Gabriel. You're just going to give him all the time in the world to make decisions and give him some playmakers to do it with. So um, I think it could it could really work. It always depends on who Oregon gets on the outside to help him. Um, there's a, some question marks at wide receivers, certainly uh, assuming Troy Franklin goes to the draft, which he is and absolutely should. Um, and then there's some other questions behind that, but um, I really like Gabriel. Um, I think he can come in here and instantly lead this team to a very similar position. Um, that was an Oklahoma team this past season who had um, some 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 problems on offense, and their defense was really good for for the most or for most of the season. Um, but you saw his capabilities and his. Uh, speed threat that he does provide in that one game against Texas um, where he had that really long touchdown run. I think it was in the second half, if I remember. Um, I, I think it would be a very welcomed addition. And it certainly sounds like it, that, that, that it'll probably happen because all signs are pointing to that right now. And, um, you know, if you're Oregon, you want to get a lot of this stuff done in the very early stages of the portal. So you're not potentially going after the leftovers after they've been picked over you want to be first and foremost which is what i was saying earlier where yeah there might not be a lot of offers or they might be looking at the 2024 class but 
they have a lot of attention paid into the transfer portal as well. And Dylan Gabriel is one of those guys. Yeah, you 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 figure out your quarterback now and then figure out the last down the road. Let the dust settle there, but you can't miss on a quarterback, um, especially of this talent and this caliber. Uh, there's one other name that Oregon has offered so far that we publicly know about at least. Um, and that's Andrew uh, Makuba of Clemson starting safety there. Um, a former four-star recruit, a guy that um, has some production. Um, Clemson didn't have a great year this season, probably looking for a new start. Don't know the full logistics of why, but this is a position we've talked about at length. Um, I think this was one of the higher areas of importance for Jared on the transfer portal target area. And it makes sense that if Oregon's going to offer a guy early in the process, if it's not quarterback, it's in the secondary and it's at safety where there's very little depth, um, proven depth at this position. Next season, they project to have Tysheem Johnson and Nico Reed as seniors on the roster. And then everyone else behind them uh, are freshmen. Cody DeCambra, Tyler Turner, both redshirt freshmen in 2024. Um, they saw a couple games of action this past season combined. And then Aaron Flowers, who is going to be an All-American, uh, highly regarded recruit that Oregon has signed, but a true freshman. And we know that um, true freshmen don't always translate immediately over to instant success at the collegiate level. So this is clearly an area they have to go after. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that this is one of the first scholarship offers that they've made. I just throw out Cole Martin also returns. I think that's going to be a primary name there. Uh, he was the guy who entered when Taishim, um left the Pactol Championship. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. I mean, it's the cupboard is closer to bare than not in terms of just guys who are returning with, with um, really any meaningful experience. There's just a handful of guys. And even Nico is more of like a slot nickel corner than he is like a true safety. I don't think he really played deep safety. So... Uh, this makes a ton of sense. I wasn't, again, to your point, and to the point Jared made earlier in the week about prioritizing a defensive back and, and secondary you know, help, obviously, at safety being one of the, the, the primaries there. It made sense that this was an offer Oregon made early and, and to a guy who's been pretty productive you know, at the, at the collegiate level in a major conference. Um, again, you're looking for plug-and-play options. This guy's already proven he can, do, he can play and, and start and play at a high level. Um, I, I think this would be a, a welcome addition. It'd be interesting to see if this is a, you know, the competition level. I think he's announced offers from several other big schools. So I don't think this is a player that you're going to just offer and sign immediately, but would be a nice addition. And a guy who, again, we probably could simply just plug him in at the top of his position on the depth chart. Yeah. But is a beast. Um, I love him as a, as a potential transfer portal addition for Oregon um, in 2021. His freshman season at Clemson, uh, he played a lot more free safety than kind of that nickel safety, that box safety, which is what he's been playing primarily the last two seasons. Um, and let's see, in 21, he played 283 snaps at free safety and 174 at slot corner. So that nickel kind of uh, star package that Oregon likes to run. Uh, if Tysheem Johnson returns, which he should do, um, I don't really think that they should put him, Tysheem, specifically in, in that field or free safety position. Um, I just don't think that that suits him as well as it does playing nickel. And if you look at uh, Makuba's pr production over the last two seasons, the more that he's been moved in that slot corner, that star safety position, his production has kind of fallen. It's still productive, don't get me wrong, um, but it's not as productive as it once was in that 2021 season. He had 47 tackles with six passes defended and one sack. Um, 53 and 22, where he started to transition more into that slot corner role, and then 42 this past season for Clemson. Um, six passes defended, so he's still getting active there. He ranks really highly per, you know, pro football focuses, uh, whatever they want to tell you about their defense. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who plays 50 to 70 snaps a game. He's a guy who doesn't really come out. Uh, he's big, he's physical, he's 6'1", 185, 190 pounds. Uh, I think he'd be a really welcomed addition to Oregon secondary. Um, I think if they do feel as if Taishi may leave, 
whether that be a grad transfer, whether that be to the NFL. This is certainly a guy that they could put in that star safety position. But if it were up to me, I'd just move him back to free safety. Um, kind of let him run wild there and, and not in a bad way, but just have him play the Evan Williams role. Um, he's not undersized at all, really, to be a free safety. Sure, you'd like some length back there, but um, you know, six passes defended as a true freshman. Free safety is pretty good for uh, Makuba here. I think he's a very, very welcomed addition if that happens. But it's going to be difficult. He's a Clemson transfer. Um, it's not like this guy hasn't been taught defense all his time at Clemson really well, mind you. Um, Brett Venables was there during his freshman year. Like That's one of the best defensive coaches in the country. Um, and the other guy that I think Oregon needs to go really hard after in the secondary is uh, Nyland Green from Georgia. Entered his name in the transfer portal this morning, quarterback. Oregon needs a true number one. Maybe that is Jaleel Florence. Maybe he develops again and showcases his talent and becomes Oregon's number one cornerback next year. Well, then you need a number two. So in this instance, Green out of Georgia, a guy that Dan Lanning recruited to come to Georgia, a guy who has history with Dan Lanning and his uh, you know, previous ideas and how to run a defense and all that good stuff. Um, he's in the portal. Uh, for as much as people have thought Dan would bring kids from Georgia to Oregon, after it hasn't his, happened. it hasn't happened not once. Other than Jordan James, who was a commit, never okay. even got to Georgia. Yeah. Um, hasn't happened. Maybe it will now after Dan has proven, like, hey guys, but my defense over here actually is pretty damn good. Still not as good as yours, but still pretty damn good. But you can come and make it better. Um, maybe that becomes a thing this year. But and Green is at the top of my list for. Him and obviously, you know, Walter Nolan, but that's a different topic. Um, but Green for for a secondary help. Him and him and Makuba as of now are two of the better ones that Oregon can get. Do do we think it's obvious landing your quarterbacks the number one important move right now for the port? But eliminate that from the discussion because it's just so obvious. Um is showing up your secondary this like the next big thing that they have to do that they need to do quickly or are there other positions that we feel like thinking you know the talent will always be there at corner so you don't need to move quickly here or is this just that you have to act fast because you don't want these guys to go away i, I still think defensive line is probably a slightly more important position than some of these positions but yeah, I, I, mean, I think you want to act quickly with some of these guys. Who, I mean, because the reality is some of these guys who are entering now are like plug-and-play, all-conference caliber players who are jumping into the portal day one. And so you have to be really active with these guys. That's what Makuba is. Obviously, that's what a lot of these quarterbacks are. Green's kind of a different case just because he was played like 100 snaps this last year at Georgia. Obviously, five-star recruit. Everybody wanted him when he was out there. Didn't play as much for Georgia, but given his, his history and his um, – what he was as a recruit, you understand why he'd be a priority. Um, but I, 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 there's not no, you know, no offers made, no players officially linked to Oregon. Obviously, there's some names of guys Oregon recruited at a high school that you can look up pretty easily in terms of defensive linemen. But I, I still think that's a, a position group you really have to make some hay with this this cycle. And, and again, probably taking three to four guys. So. Um, but yeah, that can be a, that could be a long term process, and, and maybe there are names that come out later. But um, I guess I'm g going around saying I, I still think the defensive line is probably the position group that you want to hit the hardest. But currently, with the games out there, the two names we've mentioned, I think those are are priorities over some of the other names I've seen out there, at least the defensive line. Yeah, it's still the defensive line. Uh, Oregon constantly rotated like eight to ten dudes every single game this year, and they need to continue to do that. And a way your secondary looks even better than it than it really is is getting to the quarterback, forcing him to make uh, poor decisions or just sacking him and not allowing him to throw the ball at all. Um, so they need to they need to add more on the defensive line. Like again, there's a lot of talent coming in in the, in the recruiting class. There's some there's already a good amount of talent on the team in terms of their young players. However, uh, like we've talked about multiple times in this podcast, it's a lot to ask of these young players to step up and fill the roles that Casey Rogers, Taki Taimani, and Brandon Dorless, and probably Jordan Birch, and all these other guys, Papa Amavai, are have are going to leave behind. 
Um, you're asking a lot from the Terrence Greens, Amari Washingtons, Johnny Bowens of the world. Like, you need to fortify your interior defensive line and get some edge help. It's I think it's pretty simple at this point. Um, yeah, like you hope that these guys develop and really make it hard for whoever you bring in to land a starting spot. Um, but there's some good names out there already. There's going to be more good names on the defensive front. Um, I think, again, like post-bowl game, there should be more additions to whatever the however many players are going to be in the portal at that point. Maybe you look for the secondary help there. Or just do everything right now. Go out there and go guns a-blazing in the portal. Like uh, Notre Dame's already doing it. I think they've landed two or three commitments already. Like Tyler Shuck just committed to Louisville yesterday. Like teams are moving. It's not not like they have to wait until the bowl game's going on. Um, but again, it's going to be hard to get some of these guys because Oregon's going to go after the top talent in the country. And surprisingly, other top teams are going to want those guys too. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into some high school recruiting because there's a lot of action here as well in the last couple of weeks. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Um, we could pick our our show journey here. Uh, do we want to go five star news? Do we want to go commit news? Decommit news? Oregon offered an in state guy. Uh, what should we start with here? There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Let's go good news first. Why don't we talk commitment? Okay. Uh, Roger Salapaga. I said his name correctly. Salapaga. I mean, who? To, to be honest, none of us are experts. We're not yes. linguists here. It's another uh, Polynesian name uh but a commitment a four-star commitment at that tight end from the state of utah he gave us commitment actually the day of oregon playing washington in the pac-12 championship which eric quickly noted during the game that uh commitments on the days that oregon plays washington is not a good thing for the ducks because it's happened twice now and they've lost both times by three points uh but that's there's just a joke there's no connection there but this is a good get for Oregon, another big-bodied receiver, tight end. He's rated as a as a receiver prospect and also as a tight end prospect by recruiting services. We have him at 24-7 sports as a tight end. Um, six foot four, 220-pound guy. Gives the Ducks two tight ends committed in this recruiting class, the other being four-star tight end A.J. Pugliano from the state of Oregon. Um, this is kind of... Pugliano's hurt, and he's been dealing with injuries his high school career. Um, I don't know how much you can – if like if you're counting on one of your tight ends to play as a true freshman in 2024, um, like Kenyon Sadiq this past season, I don't think you can count on Pugliano. So this is a big get in the fact that you've now added a body that's probably going to be able to compete. Whether he gets there or not is to be determined. Uh, but – to at least be able to be available to compete for playing time right away on the field as a true freshman. Uh, schools that offered him, all highly regarded. Utah really wanted this guy. Tennessee really wanted this guy. Um, Auburn really wanted him as well. Uh, it's a solid start, a good addition to the program, further enhances the depth of the position. But um, I, it's also someone, and this isn't his fault or anything, it's not a knock, but he's also someone I wouldn't expect to crack the top two in the rotation next season. Uh, Oregon being a massive, that'd be a real problem if he does, to be honest. I mean, uh, Kenyon Sadiq is more physically ready to play college football than Roger, Roger S. That's just, I'll, I won't even make an effort this time. Salia Paga, um, just based upon body type. And both guys are similar in that they were basically playing 
outside receiver in high school as juniors and are now trying to make the transition over to playing tight end don't have a lot of like inline blocking experience at least when you watch rogers junior film um from down there at orem high school there's basically none of it's in line he's basically playing wide out the whole whole time this is a guy who's really special when the ball is in the air. Like if you go watch some of the catches he makes, the high points, he's got a couple of like Odell Beckham one-handed catches in the end zone kind of stuff. He's really impressive in terms of timing his jump. Um, again, played outside receiver primarily in high school. So you're, you're looking at a lot of mismatches where he's just bigger and stronger and more athletic than the player defending him. Guy's really impressive in terms of going out and, and, and catching the football. Like that's 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 going to be a skill that translates. Now it's just does the rest of it translate? And we even saw this year with Kenyon Sadiq. If we expected he would play a bigger role than he kind of did, because he ended up being the number four tight end, and Oregon basically by the end of the year cut it into a three player rotation. And most of what Kenyon played were, you know, specialty situations where they kind of had maybe a sequence or two, you know, created specifically for him or special teams. That's really where he was playing by the end of the year. So um, I don't expect him to be an immediate contributor, but I don't think you should expect that from most true freshman tight ends, period, um, which is why we're not to bring it all back to portal talk, which is why Oregon will, I'm sure, go out and, and find a, a portal tight end right now, assuming Terrence Ferguson ent enters the, the NFL draft. And even if he doesn't, probably still worthwhile too. So um, I really like the player. I think he's got extremely high upside and he's a player who can certainly help you in, spe in specified situations sooner than later um, but right now I just see him as a guy who can go catch a football I don't know if the rest of, the, of that kind of skill set has filled out enough to expect him to to make other contributions early on I mean it's a good start you do like tight ends who can catch the ball but uh, I agree with Eric I mean I think it's a fine prospect I think it's a fine addition it just adds tight end depth and um, with the injury issues as Matt pointed out with Pugliano like it adds more depth to the class there and some insurance in case Pugliano does or doesn't make it to Oregon um, it's just more depth and which is great for a tight end position because well frankly they need it um, it's not going to light any world on fire uh, I mean, his tip, his tape is fine. He makes some good plays. He's an oversized receiver at the high school level, so I would expect him to do these things. Um, if you remember watching Terrence Ferguson's film, he was a significantly better pass catcher and was properly rated as such. And you know that skill is still translated over to the college level. You know, Ferguson has great hands. He can go up and make a reception with the best of them. Um, you know, like, and that and that translated. It's yet to be seen if Saliapaga's catch radius can translate. Um, he's going to need to add a lot of weight. You know, sitting at 220, it's the same thing as Kenyon Sadiq, who I thought was a bit bigger than I anticipated when I saw him, at least physically. I thought he would be taller, but you know, it's what it is. Um, at least he, you know, Saliapaga's 6'4, 220. He's going to have to add on at least 20 more pounds. He's really going to have to add on like 30 or 40 more pounds because. Uh, like Eric went through at the end of the season, it was Casey Kelly, Patrick Herbert, and Terrence, or yeah, Terrence Ferguson. That was it. There was no option for a fourth guy because, and, and really in the last couple of weeks, Casey Kelly has played a lot of snaps because he can run block and Patrick Herbert cannot. And Terrence Ferguson is fine at run blocking. So in these situations, it's been a lot of Casey Kelly. There's a lot of Casey Kelly against Arizona State, a lot of Casey Kelly against Oregon State. And a lot of Casey Kelly against Washington because Oregon needed to, to run the ball and figure out how to do so. Um, it's always going to come down to blocking in these types of schemes. Um, for real pass catching tight ends, it's going to be a situation like Tennessee where they're going to be running and gunning all the time, or like uh, you know Washington State or you know anything that's an air raid USC because they don't block. But he's going to Salio Pug is going to have to add on weight just like Ferguson did and. You know, Madaval did a couple of years before as well, um, and just grow into that frame. But I think it's a fine addition for Oregon's class, and it helps them a bit in the rankings overall. Um, it's just always good to see a tight end recruit commit because we were talking about that like a week ago, where uh, Drew Maringer has, you know, maybe not done as well as other some uh, as well as some other position coaches on the team. Now another name. Let's just stick with. Uh... 
the tight end position here for a second. Um, the, the Ducks have also offered the state of Oregon's top prospect um, in Jaden Fortier. I don't really know what took them so long. He was a dynamite athlete. Um, we don't have to spend too much time here, but he's committed to ASU, plays his ball at Walton High School up in the Portland area. He's higher rated than than Roger. He's higher rated than, than A.J. Pugliano as well. Um, Auburn's trying to get him out for an official visit. Oregon's trying to get him back down to Eugene for an official visit. He committed to Kenny Dillingham and the Sun Devils back on June 30th. He took his official visit December 1st. Um, this is going to be one of the names to watch just in the weeks that lead up to National Signing Day. Does Oregon flip him? Do other schools convince him to not sign with ASU, which admittedly struggled offensively this past season? Um, and does Dillingham do enough to keep him in the fold? He's one of their prize commits, and it's it's going to be a story to watch uh, to see what, what Oregon could do. I, I think uh, Oregon would take him. They would take Roger. They would take Pugliano, and they probably would take a portal guy too maybe even if everything shakes out where we think it does with Ferguson leaving. Um, it's certainly going to be one that something to watch. Um, also, Jordan Seaton, um, five-star offensive tackle. He makes his decision on Thursday, December 7th. Uh, so either tomorrow, if you're listening to the podcast on Tuesday or today, Wednesday, 30th best player in the country. 15th best player in the composite rankings, the number one offensive tackle there. We have him as the number two tackle. Um, Oregon, for the longest time, looked like the lead school, according to Steve Wiltfong. And then he made uh, an official visit this past weekend to Ohio State and Tennessee previously before that. And all of a sudden now he's making a decision. Um, frankly, like – I don't want to say like Oregon has to get this guy, but they've missed out on this type of an offensive lineman two years in a row now. Um, they've been the leader, what has perceived leader, it felt like, for a good chunk of the cycle. And then at the very last minute, um, they don't get him. Um, Kelvin Banks, I think two years ago, and then um, who was three Banks, years ago? Banks, yeah, Banks. Well, I mean, they got Connerly and. They did get Connerly yeah, in too. But I don't think Connerly is the same caliber of an athlete as this guy is. I mean, Connerly's good, and he played as a true freshman, and I'm not trying to downplay him, but this is a better lineman than Connerly. He's bigger. Connerly was the number one player or number one offensive lineman in the country. Yeah. I still think he's better. And he's starting as a, as a true sophomore. Um, yeah. And, you know, beating out guys to do so. I mean, I – I agree. Like it would be great if Oregon got him, um, but in in terms of like if he is going to start day one, if a Johnny and Cornelius come, or excuse me, if a Johnny and Connerly come back, there's no way. I have fun riding Pine, bud, um, because I don't know if they're going to move him to guard because I feel like that would be a complete waste of his potential to move him to guard. Um, because he's such a big boy. Like, it would be better for him to just play tackle. And uh, he'd have to wait for a full season, and then um, depending on if he lives up to the hype and his reputation, then, you know, yeah, he would be starting as a sophomore just like Connerly would. But uh, I don't know if it's uh, an absolute must-have, but it would certainly add a lot of depth and some talent into this offensive line room because the recruiting there um, has been really high at the highs, but um, it's a lot of guys who – probably need a lot of development before they really get into the game. And, and you can sell Seton on 24, you're behind Johnny, you're behind Josh. The year after that, both of those guys are gone. Right, Presumably. exactly. So that you're you're a starter by your true, fre- true sophomore season because he's probably not redshirting it's, a player like that. It's replicating Josh Connolly's career path. Sure. But at right tackle instead of left tackle. Yeah. No, I mean, I, so, I mean, I, I, I think it's a – Good sales pitch. Yeah, it'd be a great player to get. Obviously, I, I still am of the opinion that you're basically not finding true freshmen who are going to start day one in, in college football very often anymore, period. It takes a very, very special circumstance. So even like Aiden Breland and Elijah Rushing, those are five-star prospects along with Jordan Seaton. 
I don't think any of those guys would start next year. And no. Unless things completely change and Oregon misses on all their portal you know, uh, targets on the interior defensive line. It's just not going to happen. So you sign a guy, I think the guy has to know he's probably not going to start. He's going to have to be patient waiting a year, and if that's too long, I don't know, go play at Georgia Southern or someplace where you can play immediately and then hit the portal and come back. I don't know what you want to do, but um, I, I hope that there isn't very many left tackles high school prospects that think they're going to come in and start right away because that just isn't well, the reality. I mean, we've said that from the get-go for a long time here, that if you're a program like what you want Oregon to be and that's competing for national championships, you shouldn't have a depth chart that's conducive to a true freshman walking right in and being the best player in that position. Like That's just not a good sign. Yeah, and yeah, it wouldn't be. 100%. Yeah. And unless they're just incredibly special. Like, um, honestly, like Caden Proctor is at Bama and like yep. Francis Moigawa is at Miami. Like, everybody knew that those guys were special, special players. And they're, I think that they as recruits are significantly better than Jordan Seaton is. Like, those are, those are the outliers to the situation. But to Eric's point and to Matt's point, like, when you get to this level of, of being a good college football program, uh, you do not want there to be an option for a true freshman to jump in and start right away. Um, they have to prove it. They can start. Don't get me wrong, but they got to exactly. prove to themselves like, yep. oh, yeah, no, this kid, that five star. Yeah, no, he's actually worth the billing and literally and figuratively in that sense. Real quick, uh, we don't have to spend much time here to wrap this one up, but Oregon did lose a commitment with Michael Van Buren, um, a four star kid from the D.C. area quarterback. And also there are top offensive line offensive player committed to the Ducks. Jaquan McRoy, uh, an offensive tackle from Alabama, he visited Colorado over the weekend and has told C. Wilt Fong it's kind of now between the Ducks and Colorado. Um, are we concerned at all that Van Buren decommitted? Are we concerned at all that Oregon's top offensive line, top offensive player committed in McRoy, who also is a tackle, could also be looking elsewhere? Uh, Van Buren thing doesn't really concern me too much anyway. We've seen how this plays out where there's no way he was playing next year. And I hate to say it, but like prep recruiting at quarterback, like that's, that's a pretty low end proposition in terms of guys ultimately starting. If you've got the sort of portal access Oregon does like Ty Thompson is a significantly better high school prospect than Michael Van Buren. And he's waited at Oregon for three years. And I'm pretty sure he's never going to start a game at Oregon. Like, it just kind of feels like Dylan Gabriel comes in and he's gone. Like, Van Buren is somebody you would have been able to recruit over. So I, I don't think this one hurts you a ton. Um, kind of, I don't know, I wasn't super blown away with the two times I saw him either in person. Not to say he was terrible, but he was kind of he was kind of underwhelming. So I, I, I hate that because that sounds like sour grapes. But I, this was never a prospect I was, like, super high on. So I'm not particularly... Um, this one I don't think hurts as much as other possible losses. Like McRoy would be a significant loss when you look at what the future could hold there. And honestly, the projectability of yep. just his size is is really unique. I mean, this is a guy who I think wouldn't I would again, he wouldn't be asked to start day one, but he could be your third offensive tackle just as a humongous person out there. Like imagine him playing that that 14J position. It's just like a six yeah, foot eight, three hundred and sixty pounds. Or right. play open, yeah. yeah. Like he, so, he 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 could come in and be impactful right away. So that would that would that one would hurt if it does come to pass that he goes to Colorado. Yeah, I'll start with McCroy because we ended there. Um, I love him, man. He might be my favorite recruit in this 2024 cycle, just because of honestly how ginormous he is and how well he moves. Um, it's why I really like George Silva and still do, uh, even though Silva was a was a junior college guy, yeah. just because. It was like the Mario philosophy with offensive linemen. Like, I'm going to go get the biggest people on earth and teach them offensive line, but they're already athletic enough. They can do these things. Or, you know, there's like, they always had fun stories like, oh, they played soccer as a kid, so they have great footwork. Um, and that's what I see from McCroy. And uh, I, I think it would be incredibly important if Oregon kept him. Um, if it's down to Colorado and Miami, and excuse me, in Oregon, I got Miami on the line. Um, 
I, you have to feel good if you're Oregon, right? They've had a bit better of a track record recently. Obviously, the Deion Sanders effect is is real, sorta, because they've been losing recruits left and right. Um, it's always I, I never blame kids for going on visits either. It's like, oh, I get everything paid for to go out and visit a school that's really cool and go meet Deion Sanders. Sure, why not? I don't blame them at all. Um, but I have to feel pretty good about where Oregon is at. Uh, they are retaining their offensive line coach. They are retaining their offensive coordinator. Um, they are not losing a lot of kids to the portal, at least not yet. They're not losing a lot of recruits. It seems like things are going you know, pretty well here at Oregon. Um, so I feel good about that position um, in general for McCroy and Oregon, but certainly notable, uh, especially with signing day coming pretty damn soon. Um but as for, I'm going to go to Michael Van Buren now. It's a loss. I I was never really overly impressed with Michael Van Buren. Um, I thought that I forgot what recruiting website has him rated so highly. I think it's where, ESPN. I think it's ESPN. Yeah. Where he's like a top 100 recruit or like top 150. Um, I'm going to look that up right now. I always thought that was astronomical because I haven't seen him twice like you ha- you guys have. I've only seen him the one time at, at uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, yeah, I thought that he was worse than Akili Smith and uh, Bachmeyer. And which, you know, like that's fine. Um, hold on, I'm looking it up right now for... He's uh, the 57th player in the country according to ESPN. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I liked Akili Smith and what I saw from uh, Bear Bachmeyer way more. And I just thought they threw better balls. Um, I thought they had better arm strength. I thought Michael Van Buren was a little undersized, and which is fine. He can learn all these things and he can become a phenomenal quarterback for whatever school he goes to next. I just don't see it as a extremely detrimental loss to Oregon's recruiting class. Plus, he probably got wind that Oregon was going hard after Cam Ward or Dylan Gabriel. Maybe he thought he had a legitimate opportunity to go in there and step up and start next season because his his competition would be, you know, Ty Thompson. <laughs> He's watching up with Ty Thompson and yeah, and Austin Novoselic. Maybe he legitimately thought that, and then it's like, oh, Will Stein, you guys are trying to get Cam Ward or Dylan Gabriel. All right, goodbye. Yeah. Like I'm going to go look for a place. Like if he stays at his hometown, Maryland, like. Tulia Tagovailoa is gone. Like he's out of eligibility. Like they're going to need a quarterback, and maybe he'll go there and try to compete for a starting spot. But I don't see this as a huge loss as of now. I'm sure three years down the road, when he's competing for a Heisman Trophy, people will look back at this yeah, moment I know. and yell at me. But <laughs> that's fine. I'll take it. Um, it it's going to be fun, and I think Oregon will have. I think it's interesting that they they want to keep two guys in every single class now. Um, with Will Stein at the helm, but it's just going to be more names on more names. And I think that this was, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't speak for Oregon and say it was a mutual decision, but I think they're okay with it. I mean, he was, Michael Van Buren was not great this year and he was hurt for a lot of the year. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't great. I feel like both Moga and Van Buren were developmental quarterbacks. Like guys that weren't, yeah. weren't going to show up day one and you're like, hey, even if he doesn't win the starting job, he's going to be able to play as a freshman as a, as the backup. Like mm-hmm. We're going to groom him because it's very clear that in year two when Gabriel's gone, he's the guy. Like Neither one of those players are that. And that's totally fine. But you don't need two of them in one class. You only need one. And that's kind of what I felt like Austin Novosad was last season. That both those guys were this season. And so you only need one of those per class. And it kind of just thins um, things out a little bit for Oregon, which needed to happen. Um, I'm going to pivot really quickly because I don't know if it was clear on the camera. I was texting to confirm something. But Kanzano is reporting, just as we are ending the show, the Civil War is back on for 2024 and 2025. Okay. Um Hmm. Breaking news. Uh, Texas Tech no longer coming to Oregon. What? Boise, mm. Yes. Mm. They are going to Washington State instead. 
uh, to fill a need there. Um, Boise State is move, being moved up to the That's seventh. Nonsense. Oregon is traveling to Corvallis on the 14th. And Eric, your request of the Hawaii game still is intact as of. Oh, uh, I don't. <laughs> oh, thank God. Gosh, that I was waiting on pins and needles for that. I, w- I was just hoping you weren't going to cancel that game for me too. So, I'm kind of bummed, uh, bummed at the tech with Jared. I'm kind of bummed Texas Tech isn't making its return. Hundred percent. That that was I was looking forward to that. Hundred percent. Um, and the thing that bothers me the most is Oregon goes uh, from eight home games now to seven, and the extra road game is added. Is they're not going to complain? They're going to love this, but. It's in the state of Oregon, so they don't have to go very far. It's not really a true road yeah. game experience, but um, there's just something fun about road game experiences and going some, somewhere new and, and whatnot. So uh, Oregon now will play two home games, two road games in its non-conference slate. One of those in the freshly renovated, rebuilt Research Stadium will all – With no food. Ex- we'll get to experience <laughs> that coffee. environment. In that poverty <laughs> franchise. Um, Good lord, <laughs> this stinks. This stinks. I'm upset about this. Mostly I've not confirmed it, but Gonzalo, yeah. you know, he, he's he's reputable enough to trust it. He does. He does well on those things. Um, no, this stinks mostly because um, a lot of my family was in was was coming up to Eugene next year to go to the Texas Tech game oh, as okay. Texas Tech graduates. So. Ooh, now I got to go break the news to them that um, you'll have absolutely no reason to ever come to Eugene now. Um, but man, this stinks. I don't like that. I know. I know you have to keep the the I don't know the civil war, whatever you want to call it, going. Um, but yeah, the, the, at the expense of Texas Tech sucks. And just keeping what, Hawaii is useless. Well, I was just going to say that the Hawaii thing. Why, why would they play Hawaii? Why would they keep Hawaii, who's a G5 school, basically, and get rid of the Big 12 opponent? Like, when, we're talking about, when we're talking about strength of schedule at the end of the season, hopefully for Oregon next year, when they're, if they do well in the Big 10, they're going to look at like, oh, they played the, uh, the Mountain West leftovers, and uh, they, they won those games, but, uh, but they didn't play Texas Tech in the Big 12, so... I think that's a silly decision overall. Yeah, I was just going to say the Hawaii thing, by the way, does allow you to play the uh, the fourth non-conference game. That's why you're getting to four, to 13 total regular season games, just for those that are are confused on that. Um, I think this is Oregon saying we believe that the Big Ten's strength of schedule is going to be enough to, if they emerge out of the, 34 teams that are in that conference uh, as the champion or as the runner up that they're either going to have a bye or they're going to have a home game in the college football playoffs opening round game. Um, I, cause I'm with Jared, like swapping Texas tech, even with a new quarterback in the season that they had, like that's, a power five road opponent uh, or home opponent, you're it, it's going to impact your strength of schedule. And then now all of a sudden, I don't know. I know they're not going to like to hear it, but Oregon state's now a G five school and you're going on the road there. I don't know how much their schedule is going to be so wonky. Like what, how do, how well do we know it's strength because of who they have to play the mountain West and the five other teams, um, Hawaii is a group of five school. Boise is a group of five school. Uh, and I think they play Idaho. Is that right? To start the open, you know, the second game or whatever it is, third, fourth game. Yeah. So like they're not playing any power five school now. And to be it so the rosters are gonna change so much between now and September, or I guess late August. Um, but Oregon should absolutely obliterate all four of these teams and they're really not going to be tested before they play big 10 play. Yeah. A hundred percent because Boise state lost their head coach, Oregon state lost their head coach. Idaho is Idaho and Hawaii, Oregon played this past season. And even though they had um, Schrager quarterback who was, who was quite good this year, mind you, he was good. They still beat the brakes off of them. So 
I, I, I mean, I, I'm in agreement with Matt here. I don't understand. I mean, I understand why you want to keep Oregon State. I get it. I don't understand why you dropped Texas Tech. And, you know, I'm a little bit biased, but it's the Power 5 school. Like, you can drop Hawaii. You can drop Idaho. I mean, obviously, this has to have scheduling with Texas Tech as well. It has to work for whatever weekend Oregon wanted to change it out with. But, oh, well. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Aunts and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back on Friday uh, with more probably portal, more recruiting, and who knows, maybe for, more fallout from this news. Uh, all coming up later this week on the podcast. For again, a reminder, go to duckterritory.com, 60% off an annual subscription. Uh, do that today. It's the last day it's available. But until the next one, you've been listening to the Aunts and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.